I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, we have just Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vinson. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Rover's Choice. And this is another podcast interview with a coach that I've known for a very long time. So the great thing here is, uh, I, we know each other. The rapport is there. And I know the story, but you don't know the story, or some of you might not know the story. This is Eric Karsich, the head women's coach of UMass. And we go back, like I said, I think a decade, maybe, probably about that. Now, we're going to hear all about this guy's journey uh, from taking his first stroke all the way to being the head coach of a very good program. Eric, thank you for being here today. It's awesome to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me. I was joking with CJ. I think I'm like the 92nd uh, podcaster on here. So um, I'm not sure if that's a great thing. Uh, it seems like a, a late choice, but it's good to be here regardless. Uh, you know, man. I, listen, uh, yeah, you know what? 92 ain't bad. I think it would have sounded better if you were number 100, right? If we like waited to be number 100. Right? I should have been 100. That's right. You should have been. You should have been. So Eric, um, you know, we... We want to get, we're going to be getting into women's rowing because that's, a, a, it's really been your focus here for the last like nine years of your career, if not longer. But I start the same one, I start the same question every time. Where were you? How old were you when you took that first stroke? Uh, even before that, I, I saw my first stroke on, on, the, on the Hudson River. My brother rode from Manhattan College. Uh, I went down to, to see a race. I was at Marist and um, I, I was sitting in the fog on the side of the river. I was a soccer player in high school and saw these boats out there. It was freezing fall day, ridiculous, you know, classic Hudson uh, temperatures. And, and for some reason that stuck with me like, Hey, that, that looks pretty cool. And he was a couple of years older than me. So I, as I searched for schools, I was looking for a place I hadn't rode in high school at all. I played soccer right up through my senior year. Um, wasn't good enough to play college. And uh, I knew I wanted to find something different and, I remember that moment of watching those those people, those crazy people in the cold on the Hudson. And I thought I want to do that. And so were, were your parents big fanatics? Like, were they huge fanatics in 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 rowing, having your brother there at Manhattan? Yeah, my father was also a, a, a Jasper. So he loved being there to watch my brother uh, race for Manhattan. My dad's really a sports fanatic in general. So mm -hmm. to to have have a to see a collegiate sport, you know, my dad's came over, you know, um, um, from Europe when he was young. And so to be in America and watch his, his son row for a college that he rode for was pretty cool uh, for him. And then, and then have me go into the sport, um, kind of following my brother's footsteps here at UMass um, was, was really cool for him to see. Um, almost didn't happen though. You know, I was, I was choosing schools and I might, I want to be a landscape architect. That's what I knew I, I thought I wanted to do. Right. Um, I was looking at SUNY Syracuse, the environmental science and forestry program was my top and, and UMass was number two. And um, I didn't get, I got rejected. It was my first rejection, all right? Uh, first, first of many, many rejections uh, from ESF. And it's kind of ironic because had I had gone there, uh, I think they call them stumpies. Uh, they don't let the ESF guys row for Syracuse. And so I wouldn't have been rowing at all had I gotten into my top choice. So um, that's just one of the many forks in, in life, right? I come to come to UMass and I walk onto the team here. And in the fall of 92, uh, I joined a room of like 100 guys, you know, with with a, a pretty high, you know, a well-run club team, combined men's and women's team at UMass. 
This was before the split. I was in a room of like a hundred dudes uh, saying, Hey, we want you to try out for this, this crazy sport. Like many of us did. I know you rode in high school, so you're a little different, but um, we, you know, it seemed like something I, I wanted to do. I wasn't as into it that first semester, but that's when I took my first stroke on the, uh, on the Connecticut river in the fall of 1992. And I don't think it was love at first sight. Um, I, I liked it. Um, and I thought it was kind of neat, but I also was enjoying being a freshman in college. And that first semester, I, 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 I definitely explored a little bit. So, you know, what blows me away is I have these conversations with men and women that rode in those like early 90s era. And the number of walk-ons that wanted to row is double what you see today. Like a hundred, you know, you probably, you're not exaggerating when you say there were a hundred people in that room being like, I kind of want to row. I mean, why don't you see that these days? What the heck is going on that we don't see that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, hundred started and me and, and me and this guy, Todd Wood was the last two, you know, we were the two seniors who made it out of that 100 through four years Whoa. of rowing. Um, so talking about attrition, um, I, that's a great question, Alex. I just think there's so, so much more opportunity for, for college students uh, that, that come in um, and, and want to explore, navigate different pathways through, through, through university life. And um, our sport has become far more specialized and time consuming. Uh, we were surely not quite training at the level that we're training now here at UMass at division one level. So it was a little different. And so I think um, students in the nineties were looking for something to do. There wasn't as much and uh, you know, rowing seemed like a pretty good option. Obviously there's other sports, rugby, uh, water polo, other club sports, but I just think it's different. You're right. We we're lucky if we get 25 kids, uh, freshmen to come out and, and try out for the team and, and excited about that. So we're trying to, to push that number a little bit, but it's, it's just different now. So you, I, you know, this is one thing I had no idea about. You want to be a landscape architect. Now that yeah. is <laughs> wild to me. Uh, now your frame. So here's the thing. You're not like a huge person, right? You're not like the stereotypical six foot five frame dude. Uh, so landscaper completely out of the blue. That's hilarious. But your rowing career. So like you're a soccer player. You don't, you don't look like the, the rower that you see winning the Olympics. Um, what was your success rate like at, at UMass? Like, were you finding success? It's funny. I've been listening to you know, uh, a lot of your, your podcasts. A lot of time you go at the people about their age. It seems like that's easily the, the conversation. You're, you know, Conley yeah. was old. All these people were old. Um, so I guess for me, I am old and not big. So this is, yeah, this is where we're at right now. Um, you're right. I, I was surely have the, you know, I'm six one. Um, uh, I'm of the skinny uh, uh, nature, I would say. Um, yeah, so yeah. We I rode freshman lightweight, and I, you know that's back in the day when lightweight rowing in New England was amazing. You go to New England Championships, you know Coast Guard, uh, Ithaca, Trinity, uh, Holy Cross, BC. These programs were putting out really good lightweight programs. That's back when Dave O'Neill was was coaching up at BC. Uh, really good uh, lightweight programs coming out of these these uh, New England schools, and, and back when we had freshman rowing, and it also was something uh, of the of the past. Um, and it was a really awesome experience to race freshman lightweights, go to New England's, and 
Uh, I spent my whole college career chasing down BC. Uh, we never quite got them, but it didn't stop us from trying. And we had a, some really awesome battles uh, on, on Lake Quinsigamond. You know, that was our, our home, home turf racing out on Quinsig. Do you miss that? Do you miss the um, specialization back then of these like freshman lightweight categories, the yeah. junior varsity category lightweight? <laughs> Because that, to me, I miss it. I think that's so cool that you have so many categories back then in the '90s. Yeah, it's not like it's a it's the freshman novice lightweight pair with it wasn't that um, specialized. <laughs> but you're right. It was um, it it was nice to have this class where we felt like we could compete with with equals, uh, and 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 really have a pool of athletes that were eager to work super hard and know that they, they were gonna be able to be in a really competitive environment and surrounded by really competitive crews from, from New England. Uh, and, and that, you know, not only has those categories been, uh, categories been um, eliminated, but, you know, lightweight rowing is also, you know, has really kind of dwindled at, at that level. Obviously it still exists at the sprints level um, but at the kind of the New England level that we were rowing at, it, it's it's not not really prevalent. Yeah, like the the I forget what year it was that the IRA level teams and the sort of higher level men's rowing eliminated freshman crew, right? And I'll never forget getting recruited in two thousand three, two thousand four, and them saying, like, you are now going to experience like freshman crew. And it's, it's so much different. And you know, my buddy, Joe DeLeo yeah. and, and Matt Brady, like those guys at GW went right to varsity and they missed that window of like, sort of there's, it's competitive, it's fun, but it's not the pressure of being in a varsity. Right. And like what I'm talking about there is like, I wish we still had that, that freshman lightweight eight crew. So BC, you are, you're chasing down BC. You always had uh, that, that goal of mine. What happens come fresh senior year? Like what, where are you going next? Like, what are you doing in 1995, 96? 95, 96, I'm uh, sitting squarely in the five seat of the varsity lightweight eight. And we got a really good boat and we're still chasing down BC. Um, and uh, it was the spring season. Uh, we're, we have finally have plans. We had a crew that was willing to go to the IRAs, which was back in the day when um, you could just put a bid in. And, and go to the IRAs and put a, sure. put a, um, a crew on, on in a lane and, and race the IRA. So um, we were preparing uh, to, to race down the IRAs. Uh, um, Kevin Cotter was the five seat of the Princeton boat that won that I had to hand my shirt to at that, uh, at that race. And I remember that specifically at the IRAs. And so um, that was a really cool experience and run up in, in the weeks leading to the end of, end of my career rowing um at, at UMass and I also knew it was probably the end of my career rowing in mm -hmm. general you know I was fine on the area I wasn't flying I was in the 630 range uh but I wasn't you know kind of going to make the next step uh rowing wise and a couple of weeks before IRAs uh, Stu Stokes who's up at Colby right now one of my big mentors and coach my my junior senior year amazing guy uh remember walking the boat down to the docks and he, and, and literally uh, his assistant coach, this guy, Chris Wall, who went up to Dartmouth after, after he, he left UMass, we knew Chris was leaving vacancy at the freshman level uh, for Stu. I'm a senior, one of the leaders on the team. He kind of, as we're walking the boats, he just casually says, Hey, 
what, what do you think about coaching next year? And I was like walking the boats. I was like, this guy, I'm, I'm about to go to that race. I'll get my ass kicked. Um, but I, you know, I, I put it in the back of my head and uh, I remember talking to my pops. I was like, yeah, I might think about giving back for a year uh, and sticking around UMass giving back and being a sports fan as he, as, as he is, he's, you know, can encourage me, go for it, go for it. Oh, wow. And at the, after hours, IRAs were over, I ended up sitting down with Stu and, and, and we sealed the deal. And I, that's, that's, that's how I got my first coaching gig in this weird little conversation walking down to the docks, which Stu probably doesn't even remember having with me. Um, wow. So. so that's funny, man. And, and we've, we've touched on this a couple of times lately. I've been asking when, when an athlete becomes a coach early on, they're not making a lot of money. Do you get a lot of parent support? Right. And it's been a theme on me for like the last couple of interviews. It's so cool that your dad was like, yeah, go for it, man. What do you got to lose? Like, forget about being a landscaping architect, go coach for a little bit. So 95, 96 was your first experience coaching? No, so 90, I graduated spring of 96. I started coaching fall of 96. Uh, I was wow. a novice uh, coach in charge of the heavyweight and the lightweight guys at UMass. So I had about, you know, same thing. We had a huge room of athletes come in. Um, I got a job rolling burritos at Bueno Isano. I'm going to give them <laughs> a little plug. The best damn burrito uh, in, in the Northeast. Place kicks ass. Um, I was rolling burritos there and, and you know, making uh, – peanuts coaching and I didn't, I didn't care like it was I was I was waking up every morning coaching these awesome group of freshman guys at UMass um and and rolling burritos by you know coaching in the morning rolling burritos by by nighttime uh and it was it was some of the greatest days and and um eye-opening experiences I had that's a tough transition you know you're coaching luckily Stu was at the helm coaching the upper up, upperclassmen and I was working with the freshmen so I wasn't having direct coaching contact really um back then when it was so split i really had my own team and i ran this whole, my own team of novices and so i was able to kind of get my feet wet uh, in coaching and in the early days i was very much like you know you emulate uh who coached you and i, I heard your podcast with your marietta coach and mentor of yours and obviously greg meyer and we are a lot of the time in our early days of coaching who we were coached by and that's 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 what we know, uh, and that's that's how I was. I, I was a I was a pretty strong yeller, as was as Coach Stokes. Uh, very different than I am now, um, on the flip side of things. Uh, but yeah, I remember yelling a lot. Probably a lot of swear words early on in my career. But you were so young. I mean, you were 23 yeah. years old coaching 19 year olds, right? Yeah. So there was just this minute, like a small gap between the two of you. Um, you're learning as you go. Um, how long do you last at UMass? How long are you there coaching that program? So uh, coached through that freshman year, had a, a gold medal and a bronze medal at the New England Championships, had a great year. The next year, Coach Stokes uh, moved on to go work with um, um, Steve Fleur down at, uh, at Trinity. Uh, and so he went down to Trinity to work um, uh, with Steve and the head coaching job opened up. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I thought maybe it's time to get out, but they were looking to bring in some other coach and they made a pretty bad choice at the head coaching position. I stuck around to kind of help through that process. And I was the assistant coach they ended up firing the head coach. And next thing you know, now, now uh, add to the, the youthfulness, I was a 23 year old head coach of the club team at UMass. 
and I, you know, I, you know, really kind of fake it until I make it. And that's, that was um, what I lacked in knowledge. I made up for enthusiasm and, and energy. And I stayed there for two years and worked my ass off on networking. Um, made a lot of good connections from Mark Wilson, who was the assistant coach on our Jim Dietz. Jim Dietz was obviously there. So we were kind of working um, with a little bit of friction there. The team had split the men's club team was in the same uh, under the same roof as the women's varsity team, uh, newly kind of minted varsity team. That that split happened in in '94, um, so they were still kind of getting getting the ground underneath them, and they started to really have some amazing crews in those in those late '90s. Uh, NCAA silver uh, silver medal earning boat at the NCAA's. Um, so I, I stayed there, made a lot of connections. Started trailing some boats for Dave Tron down at uh, in, in New Haven, um, and making some extra money. You know, rolling burritos, trailering, coaching, whatever I had to do. Because um, still, as a head coach, weren't you know wasn't making that much money. I got connected to Jen Sanford, uh, who was down at UConn, brand new varsity Division One program. I trailered their boats for them at the beginning of their time because they had no trailer they had races so UMass and UConn teamed up for all the fall races and I didn't know at the time that connection between kind of New Haven Dave Tron Jen Sanford uh, ultimately connected me to Mike Irwin who was the freshman lightweight coach working for Andy Card at Yale University at the time and um, uh, I was at the IRAs my second year as a club coach at UMass and I my, my varsity headway forward just went out and probably got their butts whooped, but they would love being at the national championship. I was about to get in my trailer and drive back home from the Cooper River. And this dude comes up on a taps me on the back. And, and it's did another guy. It was Andy Carr. And then he said, Hey, I heard some really good things about you. I got an opening. Uh, I'd be interested in you applying for it. Wow. And, and I was like, wait, who, who are you? You know, I saw his big Y in his chest. You know, that's, that's all I knew. Uh, and so that to me was one of my first big breaks. And I, and I think that break came because of, you know, working hard, but also making some connections that I had no idea down the road, they were going to open up a doorway for me that really changed my career path. There's, so there's two things here that are really interesting. One, it's a reoccurring theme for you on when you were a senior, some guy going, hey, you should think about coaching. And then same time, last race of the year, hey, you should think about hiring. You should think about coming to work for me. Um, that's, I, I like that reoccurring theme. The second thing is late 90s, in my opinion, is the best rowing to ever come out of America. So this like 98 to like 2003, 2004, I think is the best era of rowing. You were pretty heavy into it now in your coaching career. Like you're, you're, you're deciding, all right, this is like the future where I want to be. Do you agree with me that that era is the best that we've sort of had in that time period? Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. And, and I look at the, the club rowing. I think that's, you know, when before a lot of the clubs got broken down, split down, Title IX kind of splintered things, when these mega clubs, I think that was a time when they were running at full tilt. So you had that level, the dad, dad Vale, soon to be ECAC, soon to be champion, then Acra, right? That level of rowing was, was really at its full speed. And, I, and then I also think um, it was the time when um, we started to bring together 
the best of the West uh, at the top level uh, with Cal and Washington over to the IRAs. And so, uh, and then Harvard and Yale coming down the IRAs. So that all started happening. So yeah, that was, that was early 2000s. I think there was, that was a really great time in rowing in general where uh, at both levels, things were running at pretty, pretty high octane. That's it really, I, I, what I think what you said there is like the club level rowing was at its best, right? Yeah. So you had these early nineties in the mid nineties where teams were starting to really build. And then, like you said, in 96 or so, you could bid for an IRA, right? So the carrot at the end of the stick for these club teams were like, I could go to the national championship if we're fast enough. And, and you had 100 people coming out to try to row for teams. Yeah, it was, it was really different. You put in a, put in a bid. Now, it was interesting. We had eight teams at the Na IRA national championships for lightweight eights uh, in, in the spring of 1996. Six uh, Ivy League teams. Uh, and BC and UMass. And <laughs> so we rode in a petite final, got beaten by BC again in the petite final at the, at the IRA national championship. Uh, but yeah, you had a chance to line up and, and see the very best. And, and there's value in that uh, for a young developing team to be able to there is there's up. a lot of value at um so you go to Yale so yeah. so at what point are you at Yale what year do you do you go over there uh I I fall of 1999 so Andy Card's 10th year of coaching uh at Yale uh fall of 99 I'm working as the freshman lightweight coach I actually assistant rigor slash freshman lightweight coach so I'm spending half the day with Tom Taft uh, not even at the Yale Boathouse. So, um, of course, I leave the Quonset Hut here at UMass. I think I'm going to Yale. I'm going to this awesome, you know, cook boathouse. Um, and we go and they're building a new one. So now we're at this other Quonset Hut downstream. That was my first year. Um, we rode on the lower Housatonic. And I was, a, you know, a very young uh, coach still, uh, mid early mid-20s. And I'm working for Andy Card and, and, and just trying to learn. And, and, and um, Mike Irwin was an awesome guy to have by my side. Mike flipped over to the heavyweight coaching side of things. And he was an incredible mentor for me, especially on the recruiting front. Uh, him and I would spend hours every night, Monday through Thursday. Um, we go get some dinner after practice, uh, be in the office for like 7 to 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night on the phone. Back in the day when we had a cord and like you had a dial punch, you know, and, and – <laughs> just cold call homes. And uh, he would be in the other room. I'd listen to him. He'd listen to me. And, and I, we did that for the whole entire first year. And I, le I learned a lot of, of how to recruit for my girl. What an interesting time, right? Like you can't, well, I want to tip my cap to you a little bit here. You, you really hustled, right? Roll, rolling the burritos, <laughs> doing whatever you can do, driving boats like that. I, I had posted on Instagram the other day, the difficulty of driving trailers and boats, right? The, the, it's very challenging. So there you are in your early twenties, just living, just trying to live, right? Trying to find your way. Uh, in 99, 2000, were you rolling burritos as well? Did you have no, to do no, that no. or were you I, now like a full-time coach? I, I graduated. I'm good at now. I'm still, I still got the skills with the burritos, but no, um, um, I, I, I got my first full-time job. You know, I was probably making like $28,000. I was making big bucks, you know? Um, uh, at Yale and, and, uh, no, I, I fully dove into, you know, I'd, I'd be at the, it was all afternoon rowing. So at the boathouse, nine to 12, eight 30 to 12, you know, working with Tom on the boats, working in the office with Andy, you know, lunch to, to the afternoon practice, 
three to seven practice than than you know recruiting at nighttime. And so um, it was a it was a heavy load, you know, every day. It's a heavy load. Um, how long were you at Yale for? Seven years. Um, seven years. So ninety nine to two thousand six. Yeah, and I actually took a year sabbatical. I, I uh, we had a really good run together, Andy and I. Uh, two national championships and two two sprints championships, a Henley championship uh, within that time frame. Um, we made a deal like two years in. Uh, I've been taking these like when I was working at UMass, they advantage like you don't have many summer duties. So I'd coached nine months of the year and I had these summer months. I love to travel. So I took like four trips around the U.S. in my car, month, month and a half, uh, camping, hiking. Um, and that was that was kind of what I did early on. I got the Yale. I was, I was working with Andy about two years in. I said, hey, in two years from now, if I want to take a, a year sabbatical and travel around the world, and I promise you I'll come back for two years afterwards, will you let me? And uh, the guy, Andy, was amazing. He said, yeah, let's keep, keep going. You can do that. And so he gave me uh, the blessing and the guarantee of a job when I came back. And we busted it for four years. We had probably the, the winningest most winning uh, time period for Yale lightweight crew was in that 2000, starting in the 2000 crew, maybe one of the best lightweight crews from UMass ever uh, anchored by these two guys and um, uh, Andrew Liverman and Ian Malik, who combined over four years lost by a total of like three tenths of a second over their four year career. Yeah. Um, yeah Andy, Andy, Andy Liverman, I've known him a while too. Uh, he spent some time at Potomac when I was there. He did. Uh, he is He's so smooth. Like he's so smooth in the boat. Uh, I think he's always so smooth. If he tells you he was always super smooth, um, we might have some video on probably VHS to to show you. Um, But yeah, those two were amazing. Amazing. Where did you, um, where did you go on sabbatical? Like what made you want to go? Like, where were you for a whole year? (laughs) So I took uh, 11 months, four months in Europe. Um, I went, uh, I started solo, but the, but the, um, my wife who we were dating before I left the whole year before I left was, it was stayed at home, um, while I left to go on this trip, four months in Europe, a month in Nepal. I always want to go to base camp at Everest. I was like, I, I got to go there. I'm, I don't want to climb it, but I stood like 10,000 feet uh, below, uh, the Hillary step or the peak of, of, of Mount Everest, um, um and that was something i always wanted to do then i went to thailand for like two months i probably saw the movie the beach with leonardo dicaprio and i loved it too much so i basically hung out in thailand for like two months and that was amazing and then i went down to australia for a month my wife actually joined me in in thailand and and spent uh, two months with her in thailand i went to australia for a month we drove the whole east coast of australia in this this camper van uh, and then rented this little uh, shitty car in New Zealand, drove the whole South Island and uh, went to Haiti and then we came home. And then I came home with really long hair and uh, not quite into coaching mode, but uh, Andy had me back uh, and I got back into it. And we had a good little run at the end to finish out my time at Yale. My, so I, I, I think you know me pretty well. I, I have so much appreciation for people who can just go, just go, just leave. They go for a year, they go... I am so grounded. I am so like focused on my career and where I want to be that like, I'm so jealous of people that can do that, that have the ability to go, Hey, I'm just going to go backpack in Europe for four months in Thailand and Australia. Like I bet you learned a lot about yourself in those 11 months. 
I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, I mean, you have your own way of of progressing. You you you've always been incredibly driven in, in everything you do. I feel like you're thinking the next great thing before you're done with the great thing you're working on right oh, now. Thank you. Um, so uh, for me, uh, I felt like that was part of my education. I wasn't always great in the classroom, but for mm -hmm. me, um, getting out there and pressing uh, myself in different situations that were uncomfortable. Uh, and, and forcing, forcing that was a way that I felt like I could evolve as a person. And, and I came back, uh, probably a little different than I left. Um, a lot more kind of aware of what's out there, uh, but also super excited to get back into coaching, um, uh, to get back working with Andy and, and see what we could do, um, moving forward. So what happens after Yale? Where do you go? What do you do? What happens in there? Uh, I thought yeah, after seven years there, I, I thought it was kind of time. Uh, Mike Irwin, uh, fast forward, uh, was now the varsity lightweight coach at Penn. Mm -hmm. And once again, I was, I'm sort of like, I've been in his trail a little bit. I remember him and I talking. He said, Hey, there's uh, Stan Bergman had just left. Uh, obviously the beloved, amazing uh, coach, Stan Bergman. Um, had left Fred Homebein, uh, was, was hired as the head coach came out from the West coast, former Washington university of Washington freshman coach, then Oregon state head coach came out from the West coast, looking for a freshman coach. Mike Irwin and, uh, linked me up with Fred. Uh, we interviewed, uh, we hit it off and, and went down to Penn for three years. Um, probably, um, some of my toughest years in coaching. You know, I went from the, from the peak of Everest, uh, at Yale um, to, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it Death Valley, but it was deep. We had some really, really tough times. And you know, I think coming into Penn, uh, following in the wake of the greatest coach ever at Penn, the, 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 basically the mayor of, of the Jersey Shore, mm -hmm. um, an amazing man. Um, that was some really, a really challenging time. Um, you know, I think Coach Homebein had a was a really good coach, did amazing things on the West Coast. Um, came in working, having worked with a with a different type of athlete than the Ivy League athlete. For me, coming down from working with from lightweights to heavyweights, that was a big jump. I, I surely wasn't the best version of myself. Uh, and and Philadelphia was really tough. It was not the the city of brotherly love for me. Um, it was it was a challenge. You know, I. I got, uh, I got my ass kicked and humbled. Um, and ultimately after three years, um, Fred had to make some moves and I was, I was the one that he made the move away from. And I uh, wanted to bring a different freshman coaching. And um, ultimately they ended up um, parting ways with Fred at that time as well after, after, after my departure. Um, that was a real kind of, another fork in the road, like, like my, me going to ESF, you know, it was a, another life fork where, you know, my wife and I were talking about moving up to New Hampshire was I get back into landscape architecture. Um, it's been some time. Uh, I didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, I heard about this little job down in DC uh, and I gave a call to your very, uh, your very uh, loved, uh, beloved coach, Greg Meyer, coach Meyer. <laughs> and, uh, and I called him up. I remember I was sitting in a parking lot, um out by uh the delaware river in philadelphia by one of the, like target out there yeah i know um, yeah. <laughs> and uh i called him up and i was in the parking lot i said hey greg there's an opening down there and greg and i had some 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 pass together and he's like you'd be great they need some energy you'd be you'd be a great fit call call mary joe as that was the associate ad so 
put my application into GW and here I am, I'm jobless. And a lot of time that's the worst place to be jobless, applying for jobs rather than out of job. That's good going for the next job, right? We all know yeah. that. And um, it was a little bit of a situation. I don't get this job. My, I could have gone in a different direction. Um, I was fortunate and really, I felt really blessed to get that job at GW. Of course, Greg screws me, right? I'm super excited to work with Greg. I go down there and my only time spent with Coach Meyer is he helped me unload the U-Haul into the townhome on the river. And the guy was amazing. No, he was, he could have worked for any moving company. He was a beast. Um, he, he's a guy, he, I mean, I have a million stories about Greg uh, and I could see him wearing the Carhartt pants. Oh yeah. And, and you know what I'm talking about? Oh. And like a white t-shirt and just moving every piece of furniture that you owned. Yeah, but it's really, it's really cool in the summertime in D.C., you know, in, in August in D.C. The guy is sweating like crazy. We barely know him. Uh, and, and he's pumping all this stuff in, in the house. Like a week or two later, he tells me he's leaving. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I know that exact. I know that exact time. Holy yeah. cow. Exactly. Well, I want to I want to ask you two things. Yeah. Um, when you first started your career, you were yelling. You said that you just yelled and yelled and yelled. At what point did you start to learn that that wasn't the way to coach athletes? I was still yelling early on, even in my GW time. First time coaching women. I got the head job at, at GW. And, and I felt like it was a fresh start for me. Uh, I felt like, you know, it had gone really well here, not so well here. Fresh start. Um, I started to change a little bit and kind of reinvent uh who i was not just emulate who i've been with but really invent who i wanted to be as a head coach and and that didn't happen instantaneous i i was really lucky to to have um uh, mark davis come in and take over simultaneously so then i had to help him move in right craig moves out one time yeah, right. i now have to help mark davis move in and and having him uh by my side he's he, he's got a great voice and he's a, a, a very calm uh, demeanor kind of that's why we balance each other off really well uh from the from the women's to the to the men's side but i'm guessing the first couple of years of gw women still thought i was a yeller uh and it evolved over time uh to kind of where i am today so i was with gw for nine years um took a program that was a little bit struggling and in 2003, uh, we won the NCAA, I'm sorry, won the, yes, sorry about that, won the A-10s by four seconds uh, over, over URI and uh, open water win uh, from, from start to finish, uh, we're in the lead the whole time. And, and so that was a really great step for me as a head coach to actually be in charge, taking a program that had been struggling a little bit to, to, to winning the A-10s. That's a big deal. It's like 2013. So it took you 14, 15 years of coaching before you started to reinvent yourself and realize there's a better way to do it. Yeah. And I think that's when I talk to some younger coaches, I think that's one thing that I am happy that I didn't feel the need to become a head coach too early. Mm. You know, I, 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 whether you're learning from a great coach, a great mentor or somebody that that's, that's uh, not the right fit for you. You're still learning and you're seeing things done different ways and you can take those ways and either decide to put them onto your tool belt or, or decide, you know, I never want to use those again. And so having worked with Stu Stokes uh, and Andy Card, Fred Honebine, sitting alongside Mark Davis, you know, all the, all the while feeling like, 
I need to learn. I mean, you said it earlier in the, in the, in the um, podcast um, so gently that I wasn't quite a national team type athlete, right? Um, I, I never was going to be. And so I needed to figure out how to um, continue learning and, and um, getting better because I wasn't going to do it at the national team running level. My, my second question uh, is rumors are that coaching at UPenn is so challenging, right? There's a lot of, there's been a lot of movement um, with all the coaches there. And I don't want you to put UPenn down, but it, it seems like that, what a weird, what a weird thing to be going through at UPenn. Like is it's, it must be true that there's a struggle there uh, being a coach. Having, having worked at, um, let me start by saying um, the, the coaching staffs that are there right now are doing a really good job. Heck really yeah, they are. Yeah. Across the board, uh, the men, the women, and the, and the lightweights doing an awesome job at, at Penn. You know, I think it's challenging in general, having worked at Cornell, um, when you're not Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, when you're in that group of that back group of four, they have so many dual races, these traditional cup races. And so a lot of time you go through your spring season and you're just stacking up these losses and losses mm. and getting pounded and getting pounded. That, that's tough. That's really tough. And, you know, when you look on a larger scale, when you look outside the Ivy League, which it's starting to happen a lot more now really in the last 10 years, we've, the Ivy Leagues have started to break away a little bit from just these duels, the traditional spring seasons where they have these dual set dual races to doing a lot more beyond those. And I, I think that's tough uh, as far as uh, morale through the spring season. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the post-Stan Bergman era was, uh, was a tough time frame to kind of figure out the new way forward, right? And they've, they've had a couple iterations. I feel like the one they have in place now has some movement in a positive direction. I like so, that. I like that. There's, a, there's a, a huge alumni group that, and everyone knows this, like Penn was so successful for so many years, like decades. And now you have this really weird period of time in the late 90s, early 2000s, where like it started to go away, right? So you have this alumni group at UPenn expecting big, big things, but you said it yourself there, like the back four or five teams that are not winning, there's so much pressure to coach and to be successful. And I know you got that at GW too, right? Like once you found that success at GW, there's a lot of pressure to keep that going and keep being, bringing the A-10 championships over and over again. Um, so I wanna, I wanna trans, so you were there for nine years. Yeah. Um, GW, what a, so what a funny place, right? So for those that don't know, Thompson's Boat Center has like 8,000 rowing programs, like out of it, right? <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating when I say No, that. you're not. And then you had, you had one rack of boats that went to the ceiling and then the men on one side, women on the other. And you had a lot of personalities out, out there. What a difference it was. Um, what was your biggest challenge managing that team at GW, going from Yale, private boathouse, to having 8,000 teams in one place? Yeah, first off, you had to make sure you had a seat in your hall because you never know if a high school crew in the afternoon <laughs> stick to the seat they needed to go out and row. And I was one of them. I was one of them. I, I'll say it there. I was one of the coaching back then. Go, go to the GW bank. <laughs> um, you know, that was getting used to, to, to playing nicely with your, your partners there. Uh, there were some good coaches. The Georgetown coaches were great. You know, we'd have a couple of high school crews down there in the morning, but yeah, just figuring out how to, how to kind of 
capitalize on what GW did have, which is a great body of water and, and, and focus less on where our boats are being stored, but where that has gains us access to. And, and that's, that's what I sold in the recruiting process because that is, that is something really neat and special and unique uh, about, about GW is, is the access that uh, Thompson Boathouse um, allows you to gain. So let's transition to your, to your current role. So you leave GW, you get this incredible job at your alma mater, right? I mean, you're-, you're I a, little, to... a little jump in there. So um, I was thinking all along, if UMass opens up, um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Didn't seem like it was gonna open up for a while. I'm waiting, waiting. Um, the Cornell job pops. Oh, right. I, yeah, I forgot so, about that. Uh, my assistant coach from GW was an assistant up there. She started chatting me about it. And I felt like, you know, nine years in, we just got second as a team, the best, um, um, uh, we, we had some of the best years uh, we've had at GW. I felt like, you know, I'm coming to a point where I want to go to the next step. And, and um, so Cornell job pops go through that process. It was a long process. I surely wasn't the primary target. Um, the primary target ended up up at Syracuse. Uh, but that's the way life works. Um, sometimes um, opportunity knocks and you jump on it. And so um, my wife and I and our new baby boy moved up to, uh, to Ithaca and, and bought a home for the first time. Never bought a home. Here I am uh, deep in my career, never bought a home. So we really was thinking about setting our roots down in Ithaca wow. and trying to take this team and, and, and build them. Uh, within the Ivy League. And so Wes Ng was down at Penn. He started to do it. I felt like um, there was some opportunity to do it at Cornell. And and things, we had a fine first year. Uh, things were going fine. Um, I, I had no plans of leaving. I just bought a house. We're going to try to ride this thing out. I'm you know, thinking my, my could be my career place to be. And after my first year, I'm sitting at the um, Navy Rowing Camp Dining Hall, King Hall. And I get this call and I, I don't recognize who it is. I, all, I often answer these, it's silly me. Um, but it ends up being the, the AD from UMass, who was an associate athletic director at Yale during my time. Uh, and, and him and I had a really good relationship. Uh, Ryan Bamford calls me up and, and I was surprised to hear from him because I heard he had some candidates in uh, that he was looking to hire at UMass. So I thought he might be asking for advice. Um, and I said, uh, said, what's up? He said, I'm curious to know if you, th you think about applying for the UMass job. And um, at the end of the day, I heard, you know, things kind of fell through with some of the other candidates. Uh, and, and here I am, and, you know, once again, opportunity knocks. And it kind of spun my world around. And my, my, the ink is still wet on my mortgage in, in, in Ithaca. Uh, it just, you know, I, my family had just moved three times in three years. Um, uh, we're about to have another baby. Uh, and, and so it was a kind of a crazy time, but the opportunity to come back to my alma mater, the school that my wife and I both went to school at, um, was the town that we got married in, um, wow. the idea of, of, of raising our children, uh, in the very place that I took my first strokes that meant so much to me. It changed me as a person and, and, and sent me on a journey that I'm curling on it was irresistible. And I don't think I realized how irresistible it was until the opportunity sat right in front of me. I kept on kind of denying it. I kind of bottled those feelings up when I was at GW, you know, I, I had to, um, and, 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 but once they're in front of me, it was, it was a really easy decision. And um, a lot of people were surprised that I was leaving Cornell to come to UMass 
Um, I, I've never regretted it, and I would make the decision um, a thousand times over and over again. How hard was it for, I don't know what your wife does for a living, if she has a career, if she's a career mom, how hard was it on her yeah. and your family for moving? Because that that three times in three years is- That'd be four miserable. times in four years. Yeah. Four, that's miserable, dude. Yeah. She, you know, she's a saint. She's amazing. Uh, when we were down in uh, GW, she worked up at Under Armour, so she commuted to Baltimore. You were oh, that Wood. sucks. So that's a, a lot of driving. She was a- uh, uh, um, uh, higher up at, at Under Armour, it was amazing uh, developing product. And then she, um, when we went to Ithaca, she started working um, for the, actually this company, RevTown, um, um, uh, a small startup, uh, that, a company that builds jeans out of Pittsburgh, one of the former vice presidents from uh, Under Armour. So that's been uh, remote ever since. And wow. so she's been able to carry that from Ithaca uh, to, to UMass and she's still doing it. So she's a saint. Good, good on you to find that. Now you got two children and you've found the universe is calling that you, you, you got the job that you started at, uh, 20 something years ago. It's like Velcro sneakers, man. Like you, you strap them on when you're, when you're a baby and then when you're an old man, you go back to the Velcro. Uh, it feels like that. And it feels really good. And I feel like I'm coming back to UMass, you know, armed with the tools that I, I, I need to not only went, get to the top of the A-10s, that's where we're going, but also take this team and, and, and you know, get them into the national scene. Get them to a point where in those preseason rankings pop up, you see UMass one vote. I'll take that, you know. Get them to the point where we can start to be going to Doc Hosey and, and some of these other uh, regional regattas, cross-conference regattas, and, and, and people know who we are and we're respected. Uh, beyond the A-10s. And so uh, that's what we're working our tail off to do right now. You know, when you, you, look, at, you look at someone's career, right? You look at their, their path. Um, patience, and I'm 36, and I, my father, you know, my father works with me here, and he's always telling me, like, patience, Alex, patience, relax, relax, it's coming, it's coming. And you look at you, you're like, you know, UMass, Yale, Cornell, GW, UMass again, and you, you, you have this patience that's coming and then you're slowly building all, you're learning as you go, right? You're learning, learning, learning. And now you sort of, you're hitting that peak, right? You're hitting that peak stride of like, you understand the sport, you understand coaching and you're in a place that you love, right? And, and you, you know, when you were at Penn or even at GW at times, if the coach doesn't love the place that they're at, it's so apparent, right? To the athletes, to the, to the parents involved, to the, to the board. So I'm feeling big things for you here at UMass. I mean, it's got to be, you got to hit your stride now. You, you got, you got everything you want. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's so easy for me to hop down. I love recruiting. I mean, that's something I, I, I talked about in my time with Mike Irwin. I, I haven't stopped. I, I recruit as hard as, as my head recruiter recruits. And I feel like um, it's so easy for me to hop on a phone and talk passionately about what we're doing here, kind of what we're doing, how we're doing it and why we're doing it. And, and for me, that is, is a big part of our of our kind of progress towards this goal is searching globally for the right athletes for for UMass and willing. Uh, and I learned this from Andy's is, is is work until we get it right, and and that's that's a motto that he used to say, uh, and I still use it. Um, uh, it's it's uh, an attitude of, of of putting the hours in, and and if we don't have the pedigree. Then we got we got to create it by by outworking our competition, and it starts with recruiting. 
And for me, that was, we came in and hit the ground running, brought a whole new kind of ideology of how we recruit here at UMass, what we're searching for. And it's, it's starting to really gain some traction. And we have the best class UMass has ever seen arriving this fall. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that. What a, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear you sell me on UMass because that's, that's it, UMass is a great program, but like, what do you have to offer? So we're learning a lot about the NCAA division one teams and women specifically, like, what do you have to offer students and athletes? Like you guys have scholarships, you guys have those tools that you need. Yeah. Fully, fully funded division one uh, rowing program. Um, we, we have the 20, we're the 24th ranked public institution in the U.S. And so you have uh, an athletic program that's going to be fully sponsored. The AD is incredibly supportive. The athletic department is incredibly supportive of what we're doing. We're a premier sport here at UMass. Um, academics, you know, we have some, some majors that are, are top in the U.S. from the kinesiology program, all the sports sciences. Um, used to be a humanities school. Now the sciences are really taking over uh, our sports management program. We have some of the from the, some of the old programs from from the days when we were the agricultural school, like our animal science program, um, over 115 different majors. That's just the academic piece and and the funding. And I think the one thing that you say, what's different? I think it's it's the coaching staff, and I think the way we do things is just a little bit different. You know, we're not infatuated. You know, what's your what's your height? Um, we work really hard on peeling back the layers in the recruiting process to find the athletes that want to collaborate with us, that want to be a part of this family, that want to come in here and do the right things when no one's watching, which is something we say all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather have uh, an athlete that works really hard than someone that um, is naturally gifted and going 7718 seven, on the ERG 6-1. Um, what they're going to find here is a far more holistic approach. You know, where we're, we want them to become the best version of themselves, not only on the water, but up, up, in the, you know, up on campus. And we do that by, by meeting with our kids a lot. We have, we have our athletes in our office all the time. And, and some of these conversations are not, not about real, about graduate school, about summer jobs, about, you know, what's going on with family life. And, and so we really feel like, um, especially as we're starting to bring in more international students, that relationship building uh, and, and uh, mentoring through their four years is unique to what we're doing. They're not just this X and O that we're putting a boat, hey, help, help our program be champions. To, my, to me, that's bullshit. I mean, to me, it's, it's so much more, uh, such a, a greater opportunity that we have to, to, to help them through, I think, the four, I mean, you'll admit it, the four greatest years of their life. Uh, oh. of their life. Um, so that's what makes us different. You know, it's, uh, I like that you say it, like I would, I'm putting words in your mouth probably, but like rowing and school is part of their life journey. And you're just adding to that part of their journey. You're not saying we're trying to win everything. And this is everything that we're doing. It's I'm in, I'm just, I'm part of your life for four years and I'm here to help you do something in the future. You know, Greg Meyer was exceptional at talking to his athletes throughout the year and not just rowing. Right. And I think, and possibly, unfortunately, you didn't have him as that, as that partner, but um, that's, that's wonderful to hear that you're there for the athletes beyond just, Hey, let's just talk about the rowing stroke and what you did on the erg the other day. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, I, I think high school kids, especially at 19 high school, going into college, like these 19, 20 year olds need that more than ever. 
Yeah. They need that, that, that person, man or woman to help them guide them through that really challenging, uncomfortable time in their life, those four years in college. It's an explosive time in their life in, in many ways. You know, one thing I, I quickly realize is, is, is I don't know everything and I need to surround myself not only with the right athletes, but an amazing staff. And right now we have, you know, I call them the A-team. It's, it's probably one of the best staffs I've worked with. They all have their own skill sets and they're phenomenal, phenomenal at what they do. But all, all of us uh, enjoy the process of getting to know our athletes. And this is why I think we're really thriving right now. And um, who's on your staff? Who, who are the who are the coaches that you got right now? So Coach Steph Chivers, who's actually out with me at uh, at Cornell. Uh, I joke that she's following me, but she'll say the opposite. Um, she was at Cornell. She left GW. We were together at GW. She went to Cornell. I went to Cornell. I came over to UMass. I said, "Hey, come come over. Let, let's build a dynasty at UMass." Uh, took her a week, and then she said yes. Uh, and then I have uh, two other. Uh, full-time assistants, uh, Savannah Davison, who was with um, um, Eric Catalana up at, up at uh, Orion, up in uh, Saratoga. And then I have Ricky Flowers, who's uh, three, three years ago, has graduated from Wesleyan, rode for Pat Tynan, uh, captain of that team, four-year NCAA uh, um, uh, attendee uh, from Wesleyan. And um, so she has a little bit of UMass in there because she rode for a guy that was from UMass, so. Great last staff. question. Last question. Yeah. And I've been wanting to know this since you, you, you're settled out UMass. You're all good. How nice is your backyard? Like yeah. landscape guy, how nice is this thing? Is it just kick ass or do you just have no time to keep it going? It's not quite nice. You know, we bought this 1929 Tudor down in uh, just south of here. Um, it's not quite there. We work an inside out. So we did, we're working inside and then I uh, got big plans this summer, putting in a stone patio and retaining wall and fire pit but um it, that's all, all in time i love it now anyone tuning in to watch or listening to this we're going to have links everywhere to find out more about what umass is doing and how to get a hold of the incredible dynasty building coaching staff there at umass uh eric thank you for today this has been wonderful i love this there's so many little nuggets here that i think a lot of young coaches need to hear and, and should hear. Uh, but thank you for this. And I can't wait to see what UMass does this year. Thanks a lot, Alex. It's been awesome talking to you, man. I appreciate your time. Excellent. Now, again, anyone that wants to learn more about UMass, there's links everywhere and you get a chance to see what they're doing this spring. And if you are an interested high school athlete, you should check them out. Thanks for tuning in.